Hey there, thoughtful listener. This is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. I'm so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free. No credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. We're also actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast, the one you're listening to. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now let's get on with the show. With us right now, it's Greg Milano. Greg, you are the founder and CEO of Fortuna Advisors, uh, a fellow Floridian, uh, and you're found on the web at fortuna-advisors.com. Greg, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on, Josh. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so give us an overview of what you do at Fortuna. Sure. So our firm, Fortuna Advisors, works with companies to help them embrace an ownership culture. You know, we aim to get people you know, thinking and acting more like long-term committed owners. Um, you know, lots of founders of businesses obviously already act that way, but their employees don't necessarily act that way. And and as you get to bigger and bigger companies, the bureaucracy takes over, the, the planning processes take over, and, and things don't really happen the same way anymore. So we're about, you know, trying to get back to basics, trying to get people thinking and acting like long-term committed owners. What does that mean? Well, it starts out with changing some of the, the fundamental processes that cause the bad behaviors. You know, companies develop plans and then they measure people against those plans. Well, if people know that's the case, then why would they ever plan, you know, for any kind of a bold success in the future? Uh, it's like taking money away from themselves, setting the bar really high. And so, you know, the technical term is sandbagging. You know, people sandbag their plan. They they, they, they predict lower sales and profits than they really think they can do. So this way it becomes easy to beat it, mm. easy to get a good bonus. And before you know it, you're, you're like paying people to plan for mediocrity. And so fixing that is the starting point. And then we fix, you know, specifically how incentives work, the measures that are used, the way resources are allocated across different business units or product lines of a company. And, and you know, ultimately it involves a lot of training and education to sort of get people to understand how 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 an entrepreneur would make decisions and how they should be thinking, uh, you know, in their role to try to act like that entrepreneur. So you can't necessarily put your HR director on commission, um, but what are some mechanisms that we can use to maybe just set up the 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 you know the the system, right? I, I love system based solutions where we don't have to, you know, it just it, it's it is what it is. Um, but but what are some of those, you know, those I don't want to say, you know, uh, you know sticks and, uh, you know, pr prizes and or penalties. Um, it's not a good way of saying that, but, you know, what are, what are some, how might that look? Sure. So um, the, the first problem companies have is they have too many incomplete measures of performance. And when you're making a decision, you know, these two things get better, these two things get worse. What do we do? Do we do it? Do we not do it? Very few people really understand how growth and margin and asset intensity and R&D intensity all relate to each other. So it becomes hard for them to make decisions when they're given so many different things they're supposed to optimize. So the first thing to do is to establish a measure of performance that is a, a single, very complete measure. And the way we do that is we measure the sort of cash profits of a company and we subtract from it the expected return of the investors. So the investor's commitment, their capital in the business just looks like any other cost. 
And so it's not bad to invest in the business as long as you earn enough of a return on that. Once we have that really good measure that, that really tracks you know, value, if you will, we don't measure it against plans anymore. We always measure it against last year. We like to say up is good, down is bad. If we create an environment where up is good, down is bad, now all of a sudden, you know, if you're the boss of a business and you turn to one of your employees and you say, hey, I think you can do these three extra things, they may or may not agree with you, but before they answer, they know that if they do them and they work, they get paid for them. It's not like you're trying to raise the bar and increase their, their plan that you're going to measure variances against. You know, you're going to give them something that's very um, objective, much more like an owner. You know, If an owner creates value, they make money, and if they don't, they don't. And we try to create yeah. that same kind of an environment you know, for all the all the employees, all the managers throughout a company, so that they're really motivated, you know, the right way, uh, in order to think about, you know, the the right decisions for the company. Yeah, and I, I'm sure, Greg, that 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 you know, some of these incentives or rewards or the system that we set up, it, it's not, it doesn't always have to be financial. But what are some of those non-financial things that, um, you know, because I know, for example, you know, how hard some people will work. For recognition, we want to feel like what we do matters. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, back in 2018, the uh, the business roundtable came out with a statement saying that uh, the mission or the role of the the corporation is no longer maximizing shareholder value; it's it's maximizing the good for all stakeholders. And at the time, I remember uh, my response to that was, you know, didn't all good CEOs already know that they had to care about their employees and they had to care about their customers and they had to care about the communities. But of course we do see examples of companies that don't really, you know, think longer term. So, you know, even if your goal is to maximize the value of a company for its investors using a financial measure, like what I described before, you have to care about employee satisfaction. You have to care about customer satisfaction to do that. You have to care a lot about innovation, right? Innovation is really key. Not stifling innovation is one of the first, you know, sort of principles of, you know, sort of acting like an owner, you know, caring about communities. We published some research last year in collaboration with chief executives for corporate purpose, showing that companies that rate high by consumers that are rated high on characteristics of corporate purpose, you know, things like, you know, standing up for something, caring about social justice and, you know, things that are associated with your brand or your identification. Those companies tend to grow faster. They tend to have higher profit margins, higher returns on capital. They're valued at higher valuation multiples, and they produce much higher returns for shareholders. So it's not that an either or. It's not like I'm going to care about my employees and customers, or I'm going to care about my shareholders. The way to care about your shareholders is to care about your employees and your customers and your communities. And so the measures of their satisfaction become really important to trying to achieve you know, true success. Yeah. And so um, if we want to just create this in our culture. And let's say we've got some layers, certainly, you know, as the CEO, we want to inspire this activity, but, you know, obviously this goes more than, well, I'm going to give you a talk. I'm going to talk to everybody about, you know, about this concept and what we want here. Right. And, you know, we're going to institute this policy and, and so forth. But, you know, I, I don't want things to, you know, kind of you know, like a lead balloon, right? It's like, okay, well, we did it. And well, that was great. But well, I don't know. I don't think it's really seeping down into the culture. How do we get buy-in on this? Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the important things is the education process and getting people to understand how, you know, making the company into a better version of itself actually is, is great for everybody, right? You know, people always wonder what's in it for me and, and so forth. Let me maybe tell you 
uh, just through an example of, a, of an actual case study of a, of a client we worked with. And uh, Varian Medical Systems, which is now part of Siemens Health and Ears, but at the time it was an independent company, one of the largest producers of radiation therapy equipment for the treatment of cancer, and you know, based in Palo Alto in California. And when we started working with Varian in 2017, I mean, they were already a great company and they had been for decades. I mean, you know, what, what, what could be better than, than developing things that cure cancer and treat cancer? I mean, a really, really great company. And, but in recent years, their, their share price hadn't done as well as they would like. And, uh, and so we worked with them, you know, to implement more of an ownership culture with new measures, new incentives, lots of training and education of people in all different roles, you know, around the organization. And, you know, if you look at the, the three years after that process started versus the three years before, they gave a lot less money back to shareholders through stock buybacks. They put more money into research and development. They made a series of bolt-on acquisitions, which uh, added a software and services to the equipment that they were selling, these radiation therapy you know, machines. And uh, they built a much more complete you know, kind of uh, service, including a lot of sort of ongoing service after the sale of the equipment, which produced, you know, kind of an annuity, what they call, you know, software as a service kind of, uh, you know, kind of revenue uh, after after the sale of a piece of equipment. And this led to, you know, a big improvement in growth from going from like low single digits to double digit growth rates, uh, led to basically doubling the share price. Employment went up by over 50% over the period, you know, partially organically and partially through the acquisitions. And, you know, they treated many more cancer patients, including, you know, cancer patients in third world countries. And so, you know, it was really a great, great case study. And, and it all hinged on getting buy-in from people. So, you know, the training program, which was, you know, which we developed with the people inside the company, uh, started with some computer-based training to introduce the principles. And then for people that had, you know, really important decision-making jobs, we put them through full days of training focused on, you know, this is how you should make decisions in the future with examples that they would work through a whole series of examples, all different kinds of things, you know, a new R&D project, um, you know, a, a vendor comes to you and says they want to get paid quicker. Well, you know, how much of a discount do they need to give to you so that you're neutral to that? You know, all sorts of just different types of decisions um, that, that need to be considered to give people the, the tools to be able to know what to do. It's very hard to change people's behavior. Uh, they yeah. they need to buy into it. They need to understand not um, not not just what to do, but why that why it's important, why they're doing it, and um, you know it it builds on itself once you get that traction. Once you get them, you know, really really in, you know embracing what should change, uh, then you have a chance. Even with that, you know, the next day people go back and do work the way they have for the last twenty years. So it, it's hard, yeah. but but that sort of repeated support from the the senior management of the company uh, and you know, reinforcing it in meetings, in reviews of decisions and reviews of performance, you know, it all was really important to kind of get the behavior change that we were after. And it is, there's no doubt, it is a behavior change that we're after. It's not, it's not the measures or the processes that we're after. Those are just tools. What we're after is to get people thinking and acting again, more like, you know, long-term committed owners. And it's a big shift for people. So it's all yeah. about the training and the, and the, and the change management. Right. Well, and, and I'm particularly curious about what you've noticed generationally. So if we, let's say we were to stack up um, boomers, um, I'm going to say Gen X because I'm a Gen X. Gen, every time they talk about generational, they skip from boomers to millennials. Hello, <laughs> uh, you know, don't skip my generation of Gen Xers. Uh, but, but, but the, you know, I think 
Gen Xers do fill kind of a transition between, I think, maybe a lot of mindset that we see, you know, amongst millennials where um, if I'm stereotyping from the outside in and I'll let you give your wisdom on this. And of course, we'll mention Gen Z, too, because that's that's where folks are coming in from. Um, yeah. But I, I think if I were to stereotype, stereotype, I'd say boomers were satisfied. I think you more satisfied with. Well, I'm going to give you an honest eight days labor for an honest eight hours of work, you know, of of pay, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Whereas, you know, Gen Xers may be a little cynical, you know, a little Mm -hmm. bit more cynical. Uh, And then your millennials are like, listen, if I don't have purpose in what I'm doing, if I don't give a crap about what we do here, I'm out. You know, and uh, again, total stereotyping there. And then I think, again, Gen Z is maybe even a little bit more flippant with that. What are your observations? Because, again, I'm the outsider just, you know, making some, you know, what I've noticed. Yeah, no, I I, actually your characterization is right on. I agree completely. And and my experience aligns with that very well. I think the the idea that what we're doing is right and it makes the company a better company, not just for shareholders, although, you know, even at all levels, they care about that, but they also care about, you know, are we having the right impact on society? Are we having the right impact on, you know, or producing something I can feel good about being part of? And, and again, you know, most founders that I, that I, that I know that founded their own business, they believe in what they do with, you know, a real visceral feeling. I mean, they, they just, um, you know, they're doing it. They're, they're making a lot of money, you know, hopefully, but that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it you know, because they're trying to have an impact on the world. And when a whole organization works that way, rather than just the founder, I find all of them, you know, whether it's baby boomers or Gen X's or millennials or Gen Z's, they all seem to really care um, about that. So, you know, starting with purpose and making sure people understand, as I, as I mentioned before, with the research that we've done, that this is not about, you know, just short term trying to produce more earnings next quarter, that you lose everybody when that's the focus. Yeah. And by the way, that's not good for shareholders either, right? When people no. try to do that, they cut R&D, they cut advertising, they stop doing some training programs. They do things that boost short-term earnings, but don't really help, you know, in the, in the long-term. And, and so, you know, thinking like a long-term, you know, investor, like a founder, um, it, it actually rubs off really well on, on all the people. And, and the, the sort of skepticism you mentioned of the Gen X's and the millennials yeah, sure. um, of, of that, you know, sort of. Is that all we're here for? You know, kind of, kind of you. Um, you know, the, the 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 authentic ownership culture really addresses that well, and I've found it's very attractive to people. Um, but you know, when you do like an eight-hour training program in person with people, they they they're sort of sitting back with their arms crossed, thinking about whether or not they buy into this early on. Because you know, if you just hear somebody say words like shareholder value or something like that, it's you know, that's almost like a four-letter word to some people because that must mean short-termism. That must mean you know. But as you get into you know, the mechanisms of how it works, it changes it changes the way people accept it. One of the examples I love to show is Amazon. For years, people said, oh, Amazon doesn't make any money. They're a great growth company, but, you know, they don't really make any money. They, they make more money than anybody. And they have for a long time. It's just that they're investing most of it back into the business. Over the last 12 months, they've invested over $50 billion dollars in what is called R&D on all the financial websites. They call it something oh. a little bit different in their financial statements. But we've never seen this before. No company's ever spent that much on, on research and development before. And research and development is treated by accountants as an expense 
<laughs> but it's really an investment. I mean, you don't just expect oh, yeah. the benefits this year, right? So actually in our measurement framework, we treat it as an investment. We we pull it out of the expense category and we treat it exactly the same as you would treat like bricks and mortar, where you have to earn a return on it over time. Like that company mm-hmm. Varian, for example, they treated their R&D like it had an eight-year life. And so you slowly mm-hmm. had to pay for it over time. rather. So it encouraged much better behavior with regard to spending on R&D because it wasn't you know, driving down your short-term performance, it was treated as something you had to earn a return on long-term. So there are ways you can do things that that really sort of automatically encourage that longer-term thinking. And going back to your question about, you know, the, the Gen Xs and the millennials and so forth, they, they really latch onto that. Like, this isn't just a platitude. We're not just talking here. We're really changing the way we're going to measure people yes. and the way we're going to pay people yes. to change behavior. And that they, they tend to buy into that very wholeheartedly, which is I which like is really that. Cool. That's that's really great. Um, share with me, uh, so uh, how you work, so at your website, fortuna-advisors.com, um, when somebody goes there, um, you know, number one, you know, maybe what might they do, but I, I am curious about what does engagement look like with you? And I know that you primarily serve larger companies, but you also do work with um, plenty of SMBs. And if so, what does that look like? Sure. So actually, let me just mention the on the website, the one place people can go to find information insights, we we publish quite a bit. Um, I mean, for example, this week, I published an article about, you know, so the, the willingness to experiment and fail as a part of innovation on, uh, on Forbes. And you know, we've got well over 100 articles posted on our website organized by topic. And when we think about our work and how we organize those articles, we think about sort of three steps three phases, if you will, better insights where people now get a better sense of the real value created, like my Amazon example a moment ago. So better insights, then better decisions. How do you use those insights to make better decisions, to to know where to grow? You know, I want to grow more in this profitable area. I don't want to grow in that less profitable area. You know, using your insights to allocate resources properly, you know, around the organization. So better decisions and then better behaviors, which is the incentives and the training and the change management side of things and so forth. So the the process we go through, whether it's a a large company we might work with for several years to execute this kind of a change or a smaller company where the complexity is is lower and we can uh, execute all this faster. It always starts with better insights, customizing a measure that works right for that business to capture value creation better than accounting does. And then better decisions, applying it to the types of decisions the company is actually embarking on day in and day out. So they understand you know, how to use it in, in their particular case. And then you know, better behaviors, better incentives, and, and educating the people that need to know about, you know, about, about the decision process. So you know, better insights, better decisions, better behaviors is, is how, we, how we work with companies. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, and that's again at your website, fortuna-advisors.com. Just click on the show notes. I wherever you got to click around in your podcast player, you'll find where we include notes here. We've got a direct link here to uh, to Greg's website, and uh, you guys, like I said, are just up the coast here in Florida, north of uh, St. Augustine. Uh, that's a that's a pretty part of the state to live in. Yeah, no, it's very nice. We, my wife and I moved here in, in 2019 and we love it. Uh, we're north of St. Augustine. We keep our boat in St. Augustine. It's a great place for outdoor yeah. activity of all types. But uh, yeah. actually our firm, although we're technically headquartered here, we're mm-hmm. a fully remote company. Our people oh, yeah. are spread around in, in Texas and in Ohio and in, in Maryland and in, in New York, New Jersey. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're spread around quite a bit. 
So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's nice actually. I mean, we've always were a bit like this. We had some remote people, but you know, when things turned, uh, you know, very virtual in the pandemic, it was just natural for us to commit to this model. Wonderful. And it's been hugely helpful to us. I mean, in, in a market where people are having trouble, you know, hiring, keeping and retaining people, the fact that people don't have to move to us anymore actually, you know, really helps us find good people in, in wherever they happen to be. And they can yeah. move wherever they want to. They can live anywhere as long as they're near an airport and can get the clients when they need to, you know, because obviously we, you know, we had times fly to our clients, maybe not so much very recently, but, but uh, and so forth, uh, they can be anywhere. That remote model has really worked well for us. Awesome. Greg Milano, founder and CEO of Fortuna Advisors. You're on the web at fortuna-advisors.com. Greg, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, we have an audience of over 120,000 that we would love to promote your story to. Please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. I'm also so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free. No credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? Well, we will promote you and retweet you and re-share you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up in your podcast player right now? please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review and we promise to read it all and take action. Thank you if you've done this already. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, please hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 to 20 minutes a day. My name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.